Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We have uh, heard the resurrection account from the Gospel of John. We have, um, for the last couple of weeks, uh, three weeks actually, I guess, including today, uh, been celebrating, and our series has been around the, the atoning death of Christ. And folks, let me say, if you, if you don't really get the, the picture of the atoning death of Christ, then the resurrection really has no meaning to you. If you don't understand what Jesus came to accomplish there at the cross, and we have the opportunity through the messages from Leviticus that Hunter preached on, on the prophecy, the, 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 the atonement prophesied, and then Blake last Sunday preaching to us from Romans 5 on the atonement fulfilled. Friday night, we had a wonderful time together on a Good Friday service. Hadn't done that since I've been pastor here, but we had a wonderful time. And, and just to look again at the cross and what Christ accomplished for us there at the cross. And this morning, we're going to consider together the, the atonement celebrated. Uh, because again, it is through the resurrection that we now celebrate the atonement, the, the atoning death of Christ and what he accomplished for us there. And we're going to do something I've never done before on an Easter Sunday morning. We're going to, we're not, we're going to look ahead. Most of what we see in Scripture is, is looking back to, to what Christ uh, has done for us, to, to how even in the uh, pages of Genesis, the Lord Jesus and his death for us is prophesied. But we're going to look ahead at a scene of, in the future in Revelation uh, chapter 5. And, and one, if you are a child of God, that you can find yourself there. If you've been born again and been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ, you can find yourself in this prophecy and anticipate. And in this passage together, it's a passage about worship, about the kind of worship that we'll be experiencing. And I believe it's also a word to us about the kind of worship that's going on right now in the presence of the Lord that we can be a part of. And that's why we, uh, we should allow this text today we're going to read uh, to govern and, and to direct our worship here as believers because we're in on what the believers here are in on in this passage of Scripture And so my heart's prayer today is that you'll understand that, that if you're here without Christ, that even as we read over, and Hunter reminded me in our prayer time together this morning in 1 Corinthians 14 about the the church as they would gather for worship, that even as unbelievers came and they heard the Word of God, they heard the prophecy of the Word of God proclaimed, and they recognized their need for Christ, that they as unbelievers would even fall down and worship God, I believe in repentance and faith, surrendering to Christ because of the presence of God. And my prayer today is that you've already sensed the presence of God in this place and know that the Lord Jesus is alive. He's alive here today, and that if you have not responded to Him, that you'll do so today as the Spirit of God awakens your heart to your need for Christ, and you'll come in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. With that, I invite you with your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 5. We're going to read this chapter together, Revelation 5, beginning with verse 1. I invite you to stand with me, if you will, and I'm going to be reading from the New King James Translation. It's uh, uh, on the screen there in the English Standard Version, but I'll read from Revelation chapter 5. Look along with me in your Bible there as well. Word of God says, 
And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. We're going to consider from this passage today, worship the crucified, risen Lamb. Father, thank you for this wonderful time of worship to celebrate the risen Lord Jesus, the crucified Lamb, the glorified Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. We thank you that you're alive in every heart and life of those who've repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in Christ. We thank you that you are alive today in every church that proclaims the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and worships you. We thank you that you are alive. And as we've already prayed, we know that that is not only a reality of this day, though we celebrate in a special way today, it's a reality of every second of every day of our lives. We thank you so much for for the truth that Jesus lives. And we thank you, oh Father, how we thank you today that that truth has come to our lives, that we've had the privilege 
of hearing the gospel that Jesus, Lord Jesus, you were crucified, you became sin for us, you were buried, you rose the third day, you're now seated at the right hand of the Father, ever seating for us, interceding for us. And we thank you today that we have the privilege of worshiping the Lamb of God today. And I pray that even as we continue this time in your word, that it'll be a, content, a time of worship, Lord, that will change our lives and every life present to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As Hunter read from the Gospel of John a few moments ago, earlier in our service, we we saw that place that Mary Magdalene had come to the tomb early on that third day while, uh, while really it was still dark. And when she got there, the stone had been rolled away. Obviously, she was frightened. She immediately ran back to tell the other disciples. And she told Peter and John. And both those disciples, as we read there, ran to the tomb. And uh, John refers to himself as the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And a good way for all of us to know of our, think of ourselves as well. Amen. But he, out, he outran Peter uh, to the tomb. He got there and, and Peter, however, ran on in and they both went into the tomb and they saw there the, they saw the empty grave clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John testified uh, there that moment. He saw and believed. Just imagine, you know, they, they'd heard Jesus. He taught them uh, about his death. He had taught them about his resurrection. But as John said there, we had not yet understood that. We didn't get it. So can you imagine the transformation of their hearts who were broken and who, were, who, was, who saw, thought that everything they'd placed their hopes in, now the Lord Jesus was dead, but now they know He is alive. They've not seen Him yet, but soon they will. They'll all see uh, the Lord Jesus. He had that appearance to them uh, of the disciples minus Thomas later to appear to them again with Thomas there. Uh, and then over the next 40 days uh, uh, before He ascended, He appeared to His disciples and to others. At one time, over 500 at once, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15. But then He ascended back into heaven with the promise to them that He would come again. John was a faithful Apostle to faithful disciples serving his Lord, used of God in many ways, used of God to uh, be the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the Gospel of John, the epistles 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and this uh, work known as the Revelation, the Unveiling. And in this book, of course, John is here on the Isle of Patmos, and the, and the Lord uh, appears to him there and gives him this, this vision. And in his response to the vision of the crucified, risen, now glorified Christ, we read in Revelation 1, 17 and 18, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. Jesus said, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And in Revelation 2 and 3, uh, John receives that word from the Lord Jesus, that word to those uh, churches there uh, of Asia Minor. And then beginning in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, he has a vision of a throne. Chapter 4, the vision is of the Father. And, and the praise there around that throne in, 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 in Revelation 4 is for his creation. But then when we come 
to Revelation chapter 5 as we've read today. The throne and the, the focus of the, of the worship there is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the crucified, the, the risen, the glorified Lamb of God is the focus. And all throughout then the rest of the book of Revelation, you see, you see the oneness of, of God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit as the Lord Jesus is continued to be worshipped as He is in our lives today. And again, today as we think about this passage that focuses upon the atoning work of Christ. Yes, it celebrates the resurrection of Christ because Jesus is alive here. He's alive forever and ever and ever. However, again, we, we see that the resurrection, as we've said, would, would, not, uh, would have no meaning apart from the atoning work of Christ. So I want you today, as we look at this passage today, to consider some truths uh, from this scene uh, about the crucified, risen Lamb of God. First, first notice, if you will, the hopelessness apart from the crucified, risen Lamb. The hopelessness apart from the crucified, risen Lamb. Again, the one seated on the throne here in verse 1 is, is the Heavenly Father. And He is the one holding this seven-sealed scroll. Many believe and call, refer to this scroll as the title deed of the earth. One commentator said it contains the announcement of the consummation of all history. How things will ultimately end for all people. Judgment for the world and the final reward of God's redeemed people. And Scripture teaches us that God's people are awaiting this moment of redemption. In fact, uh, again, the, the indwelling Holy Spirit in every believer, Scripture tells us, is God's pledge to us that this day is coming. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And Romans 8, 8 19 and 20 through 22 tell us that all of God's creation is eagerly awaiting this moment of of God's redemption and of this special day. Well, a mighty angel we see here, uh, a strong angel asks the question loudly, who is worthy to open this scroll and to break its seal? Seals. But then there's total silence. Total silence. Why? Because again, no one is able. No one is worthy. No angel. Uh, none of these elders who are the redeemed saints of God. No one uh, has the authority or is the, the worthiness to do this. So verse 4 says that John... Then he says, I begin to weep loudly. You say, Pastor, I thought there was no weeping in heaven. No, this is John's vision of it, all right? And uh, he's not there yet. But, but he's weeping loudly. Why? Again, because he considers here. He, he considers as he's weeping audibly and he contemplates a world without the Lord Jesus Christ. He contemplates a world where, again, the Lord Jesus uh, has not paid the debt in full, where he, uh, the, the hopelessness apart from a crucified, risen, glorified Lamb of God. The completion of God's redemptive plan is impossible apart from Him. And He recognizes that. Friend, it would do us well to think about 
what it would be like. You don't have to dwell there long. But if you thought sometimes about where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be? Well, that is atoning death on our behalf, that he paid our debt in full. Where would we be had Jesus not died and had he not been buried and he not raised again the third day? There'd be no point as I shared with a a woman in our community the other day as I sought to share with her the the message of the gospel. And she was a skeptic. And and I said, you know, if, if Jesus is not who he says he is, if he did not die, if he was not buried, if he has not been raised again, we're wasting our time. There's no point to have a Lucy Baptist Church or any other church. This is all a sham. There's nothing to it. But oh, friend, praise God. As Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has died. He has risen. He is alive. And therefore we celebrate we are not without hope. Shortly after Christ ascended and following Pentecost, Peter and John were arrested for healing a lame man. And they were asked the question, by by what name have you done this? To which they replied, by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Yes, there's hopelessness apart from Christ. But praise God, there is not hopelessness because there is Christ. Because Jesus did die. He was buried. He did raise again. He is alive today. But think about it apart from Christ. I want you to see secondly in this passage the the uniqueness of the crucified risen lamb. And beginning in verse 5, while John was, was weeping, one of the elders, and again, the elders represent redeemed believers, redeemed sinners, not one of the angels, but one of those who've been redeemed. He put his hand on his shoulder, and in essence, he said, stop weeping. John, we're not without hope. I remind you, my brother, behold the lion. Behold the lion. He, he's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying there is hope. No one can, no human can redeem us. No angel can redeem us, but there is one who can. And there is only one, the one and only, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he begins to describe the, the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, his unique qualifications to be our Redeemer. Notice, first of all, he, he is unique because of who he is. He's unique because of who He is. Notice again in verse 5, He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. This is a fulfillment of of Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10. And what does the figure of the Lion represent? Royalty, boldness, fierceness, authority, power. The Lord Jesus is all of those things. He came the first time as as we see in this passage as a lamb, but He's coming again as a lion. As a lion, he's going to punish his enemies. But also, he's the root of David, uh, he says here. And this title comes from Isaiah uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and 10. Jesus did come as a fulfillment of, of, of what Scripture prophesied, that he came from the line of David. But in, but in this passage, uh, it's indicating that Jesus is the one who established David as king because he's the one who has always been. He didn't begin at Bethlehem. He didn't begin in Mary's womb there, but he's always been. He established David as 
king. And again, as, as lion, the lion king, he says here that he has conquered. How did he conquer? He conquered at the cross. He was not defeated at the cross. He conquered sin. When he cried out, it is finished, paid in full, the Lord Jesus conquered uh, death. He conquered Satan. He conquered hell on the cross. He also conquered by rising again, by living and defeating sin and reigning forever and ever. Then notice verse 6. What does John do? John, John looks, looking as, as he's been told, look to see the, the lion. But what does he see? He sees instead a lamb. Because you see, Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. He sees him here, as we see in verse 6. He sees him, uh, and by the way, he's called lamb 28 times in the book of Revelation. The word for lamb here is a word which means little pet lamb. That takes us back to, to Exodus chapter 12 when, when, the, when God sets up the Passover meal and he told the people of God they were to take their, that little lamb and that would be a precious little pet to their home and they were to take that lamb and they were to slay that little lamb. And that again pictures the, the Lord Jesus and all of his sinlessness as that little pet lamb. And, and again, he is as all throughout scriptures you read the Old Testament. He is the lamb who is without blemish and without spot, perfectly sinless. The only one, as scripture makes clear, who could give his life as a ransom for us. The only one who could cleanse us from sin. The one offered up as Blake preached last Sunday, once and, and for all. And as John called attention to him, John the Baptist in John 129, where, we, where he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's unique because of who He is. But also He is unique because of what He has done. And, and again, this is indicated, noted, that, note here that he, he is the one standing as one who has been slain. He has been slain. This word for slain means violently slain. And again, we think about that as we look back at the account of the cross and we recognize how he was violently slain on our behalf. But not only just the physical aspects of that, but as we examine once again what that means, the fact that on that cross, all of the wrath of God, holy God against sin, that could only be accomplished through our spending eternity apart from Christ in a place called hell forever and ever. And you think about all of that being poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ, violently slain. But notice also, uh, he, he is the one who, who is, who's, who's bearing the, the marks of that one. That's what it means that forever this lamb is going to be obviously noted as the one who has been slain. John, is, uh, John records that, that Thomas, unpresent uh, at the time of Jesus appearing to his disciples, hearing about it later and didn't believe, he said, unless he could put his hands in those nail prints. And Jesus appeared to them and, and told them, he said, put out your hand and place in my side and, and, and touch these places in my hand that bore the nails that pierced him to that, to that cross. And again, that reminds us that the glorified body of the Lord Jesus, that we will be seeing literally as we spend eternity with him in heaven, that every millisecond of every day, we will be reminded again of his great love for us as we see those scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side. We see what the Lord Jesus has accomplished for us. Every day we'll be reminded for all eternity of his great love and we'll worship him in the light of his death on our behalf. 
what he's accomplished for us. Notice he's standing. We see that he's seated at the right hand, but now he's standing here again, speaking of his great victory at the cross, but also his victory that he rose again, that he's alive as our resurrected Lord. He accomplished what Paul described in 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered to you first of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He's unique because of what he has done. He's unique because of who he is. But notice he is unique because of what he is able to do. Because of what he's able to do. Notice he, he goes on to describe him uh, concerning his deity. He uses the word seven here. And, and seven in scripture is symbolic of perfection. The seven horns here indicate that he has all power. The, the word, the, that he is omnipotent. The seven eyes indicate that he has all knowledge, that he's omniscient, all-knowing. The seven spirits indicate that he's present everywhere, that he is omnipresent. You say, those are all attributes of God. Absolutely, that's who Jesus is. Fully God, fully God. And Jesus is, uh, is demonstrated here and seen here as one who is able to do all things. And again, he's now, because he has all authority, because he is worthy and only one worthy, he is able to take these scrolls. And he's about to uh, uh, unveil God's full plan of redemption, what God has in store. And the announcement will be made in Revelation eleven fifteen by those mighty, loud voices. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The blind hymn writer Fanny Crosby summed up in her hymn what it means, what it's going to mean for us to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus and worship Him forever. When she wrote, I shall know Him, I shall know Him. As redeemed by His side, I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him by the prince of the nails in His hands forever. And ever, and ever, we'll be reminded as we worship the Lamb, the crucified, the risen, the glorified Lamb of His great love for us. And dear friends, that's not only going to be true in eternity, it's what makes worship significant today. It's why we can worship Him today. It's why our worship should not be dull or dead. We serve a Christ. We worship a Christ who loved us and gave Himself for us. How can that do anything but, uh, but break our hearts with joy and praise and worship and adoration as we come into His presence? But I want you to see thirdly with me the worthiness of the crucified, risen Lamb. Verses 8 through 14. When he takes the scroll, we see in this passage that heaven erupts in glorious worship of his worthiness as the crucified lamb. Notice in verses 8 through 10, he is worthy of worship from the church. Again, uh, uh, I agree with those who, who indicate that the 24 elders here are, are the church. And that's exactly, and that's where we see ourselves here. These four living creatures are, are, the, are these leading angels. 
But the, the 24 elders who represent the church that's now gathered, notice that each is holding a harp. Uh, we don't know all the full significance of that. There are various interpretations of that. I understand this instrument was a guitar-like instrument. So just a, just a good word there for those of us who aren't real musically inclined, who can't play the guitar. We don't have, it's great if you can get lessons here and enjoy it here. But one way or the other, we're going to enjoy it there. Amen? We're going to worship the Lamb together. He is worthy. We're going to worship Him with praise from our heart. And everybody is going uh, to participate. But notice another part of our, our worship here are the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Uh, there are the, the prayers that are indicated here above the, uh, of the, 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 those who are undergoing great persecution or praying for God's deliverance. But I'm reminded also of the words of the Lord Jesus in the model prayer in Matthew 16, where he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is about to completely answer the prayers of his saints. And you know, this demonstrates to us some things, even for our own application today, that, that again, biblical, Christ-centered, worshipful prayer, which by the way, what is prayer? It's summed up in that one word, worship. That these kinds of prayers that honor and glorify Christ based on the word of God are eternally significant. So I just want to say a word to you, child of God, keep on praying. Keep on praying. God hears as we pray according to the word of God and meeting the, the conditions of the word of God. God hears and God, God answers. He's worthy of worship from the church. And dear friend, he's worthy of worship from the church now. That is why we, we look at the scripture and we see this beautiful passage of scripture and we see it as, as, a, as a guide to us of what our worship is to be like down here now. He's worthy of worship from the church. Notice, uh, again, uh, they start singing a song in, in, verse, uh, in verse number nine. Notice the, the song that they sing. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Notice some things about this song, by the way. Again, most believe that, that this is just a song of the church here. One of the things you'll note in Scripture, you'll often hear angels saying, but you won't hear of angels singing. You see, only the true blood-bought, born-again believer can truly sing in the sense of what, wor what this kind of worship's all about. Because God puts a song in our heart. Uh, the angels say and they glorify God, but the believers, the redeemed, sing. So we should pattern our singing after this song. Notice it's a Christ-exalting song. It says, worthy are you. That should be the heart of our worship. It's a gospel-saturated song. He says, you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God. It's a global mission song. Out of every tribe and tongue, language and people and nation. That's why, again, our heart is for the nations because God puts that heart, this desire in our heart to see the whole world come to Christ, the whole world to hear the gospel. And that's why we say here, we want Lucy Baptist Church to look more and more like what heaven's going to look like because we're going to be a, a, a there. We're going to be gathered together from every tribe, every language and, and every people, every people group. And again, that's the, our heart is to take the gospel to the nation. So we sing about that and we remind of our responsibility in doing that. Again, it's a, it's a song about service because he speaks of us as kings and priests to God in our service and ministry to him. It's a song of promise 
and a song of hope. And that's the kind of songs we should sing because he said we shall reign on the earth. So it's looking ahead to what God has ahead for us as the people of God. So he's worthy of worship from the church. But notice beginning in verse 11, he's worthy of worship from the angels. Because when we get to verse 11, the Bible says, he, he says, I looked and I heard of the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So added to the, the song of the church, now the, the angels join in and, and, and worship, and they begin to participate as well. And Psalm 148 too says, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts. Notice John says there were myriads of myriads, which, which means ten, uh, ten thousands plus thousands, meaning millions or innumerable. There was more than we could imagine. So you can understand why it was loud. I mean, it filled, the, uh, it filled heaven and beyond uh, John's ability to count just innumerable. And again, they speak together with the loud voice of the same theme, the worthiness of the crucified, risen glorified lamb. That is the worship. That is the theme of the worship of heaven and therefore should be the theme of the worship of the church today. The Lord Jesus, the lamb of God. What do they speak of? What are they, what are they worshiping him for? His unlimited power, his unlimited wealth, his unlimited uh, wisdom, his unlimited might. Uh, he's worthy of all honor, of all glory, of all blessing. Dear friend, that's what our worship should Recognize today as well. But then thirdly, notice, he is worthy of worship from all creation. Because when you come to verse number 13, the Bible indicates that every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. So the worship is building. The participants of worship are, are, are building. And now uh, all creation is joining in, uh, worshiping the Lamb. Again, dear friend, because everything that God has created, He did so for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to Him and to Him alone. Everything was created for that purpose. And the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And they all join in together and they, they speak and, and worship him for his endless blessing and endless honor and endless glory and endless might. It all belongs to the crucified, risen, glorified lamb forever and ever and ever. That's what's going on in heaven right now. That's what's going to go on in heaven for all eternity. And God invites us to join in. Amen. The four living creatures can only add their amen. Biblical, by the way. Uh, I asked the ladies on the back pew back there, I said, y'all the amen corner? Uh, everybody ought to be. As you worship the Lord, you want to express your heart and, and express your amen, so be it. Absolutely true. And that's what they did, is they acknowledged uh, the, the worthiness of the Lamb. But, but friend, I want you to notice here, is he's describing everything that has breath. He's describing everything. You say, does that mean even unbelievers? Yes. Does that even mean now because this is a future scene, those who've died apart from Christ and are going to be separated from God in a terrible place called hell forever? Yes, it does. It even includes them because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11, therefore God has, all, uh, has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. You may be here today and have never repented of your sin. You've never placed your faith in Christ. You've never surrendered to Him as Lord. One day, friend, if you leave this earth and, 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 and you leave this earth without confessing Christ as Lord, one day, you may not even believe Him today, but one day you're going to confess Him as Lord. You're going to say Jesus is Lord. Oh, dear friend, we plead with you today to hear the Spirit of God speak to you through the Word of God today and don't wait until then to confess Him as Lord. You'll join, you'll join in, but not as a participant acknowledging Him as your personal Lord, just the fact that He is Lord. I plead with you today to see what Christ has done for you in His death, His burial, His resurrection. See that He's alive today. Come today in repentance, turning from sin, faith, trusting in Christ, surrendering to Him as Lord today. Ray Stedman describes in, in, in this, uh, studying this passage, he said it took him back to an experience as a, as a young man. One morning when he was getting ready for an Easter sunrise service on an Easter Sunday morning, and he said, uh, he looked over at his dresser and he said he happened to notice a hymnal there. And the hymnal was open and he walked over to it and he, he saw there on the open hymnal beneath the cross of Jesus. And he said he read the second verse of the song that says this, upon that cross of Jesus, mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my smitten heart with tears, two wonders, two wonders, I confess. The wonder of redeeming love and my unworthiness. He said, my heart was fully aware and convinced of my own unworthiness, how unworthy I am. But he said, in that moment, he said, I, I felt as if though the, the walls of that little room little apartment room just faded away. And he said, it was as if though I too was standing there with this great throng, this great host. At this point, as we see here in, Rome, in Revelation chapter 5, I was standing there singing the wonder of God's redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's love for mankind demonstrated at the cross. Can you see yourself there today? Can you... See yourself there today. You see someone that said worship down here is on the job training for reigning. And isn't it wonderful? We can experience something this side of heaven that we're going to know and experience for all eternity. That's what makes worship so wonderful. The crucified, risen, glorified lamb, the same one that we see worshiped here in Revelation 5 is the same one that we worship today. So again, we're going to call you today to respond to the Word of God and respond to this passage as the Spirit of God. And I want to once again ask you this question. Which group today do you find yourself a part of? The redeemed, worshiping Jesus as we worship Him together as the people of God? Do you find yourself in that group? Confessing Him, praising Him as Lord, or just among those of the creation, even those in hell, who will one day confess Him as Lord, yet not know Him as Lord. Oh, dear friend, I call you today to repent, to place your faith and trust in Christ, surrender to Him today as Lord, as you hear the Spirit of God speaking to your heart, making you aware of your need 
for Christ. And then I want to invite you today as the redeemed of God. In a few moments, we're going to have a time of response. We're going to have a time really of worship. And we're going to invite you in this time of worship to respond to the Spirit of God as as we worship the Lord together. We're going to invite you to see yourself there. Because if you're a child of God, by faith, you are there. You see, God's eternal. Amen? And the Bible says we are already as believers because Christ is in us. And because we are in Christ, the Bible says we are already seated with Him in the heavenly places. So we can go ahead and be where we are. Amen? We can worship Him today because He is here. And by faith, we are there, seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so let's worship Him in this time of response. If you're here without Christ, we invite you to respond by coming to Him in repentance and faith, surrendering to Him as Lord and Savior of your life. But again, if you're here as a believer, let's worship Him as we're going to do. And, and, and let's say, what, you say, well, Pastor, what about when we leave this place? We're, we're going to walk out of here and I got to go back to work tomorrow. I got to go back to school. I got to go back to the, the grind. I can't, I can't always be in a worship service at church with God's people where, where it's easy. I got to go deal with the hard and the nitty gritty and the difficult parts of life. Amen. But dear friend, knowing that we are there with Christ and Christ is here with us, knowing that we, the Bible says, what, what, what do we do? We're to set our mind on things above. We're to realize who we are in Christ. We're to look ahead and we're to realize the victory that we have in Christ. And and you see, when we get that kind of heavenly, eternal perspective, then, you know, we just realize, hey, yeah, we're still having to go through the hard things of life. But you know what? We're just passing through. We're just passing through because in Christ, I'm already seated with him. If you're a child of God, if you've repented of your sin, place your faith in Christ. Then just knowing who you are in Christ, what your inheritance is in Christ, what Christ has accomplished for you at the cross and at the empty tomb and at the resurrection, and now that he's ascended, then it makes a difference. Yes, down there in the tough days of life because you have the great joy of what you're looking forward to. Amen. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.